All right, there's one word that has a lot of meaning in our day and age, and some of you might groan or moan at this word, but it is the word viral, right? That word, it has a ton of meaning for us, right? We just passed the one-year anniversary of the COVID shutdowns here, and we know how things go viral. We know how viruses go viral, right? It's really a four-step process. There's an easily transmissible organism, something that passes easily. There's a host that shares, you know, wonderfully, generously shares that organism, right? This is uh, the shedding of the virus. Then there's close contact. You have to have close contact. And then there's a, a, a receiver. People receive this organism uh, into themselves, and they become now the, the host that shares to the next one. So we know how viruses go viral. Now, that word viral is also used about social media as well, right? Uh, if something goes viral online, there's a video or a meme that uh, usually is, is funny. People grab a hold of it, and it just shares along the same lines of the same formula, right? There's an easily transmissible medium, and on social media, uh, social media it's easy to transmit videos and, and, uh, and memes. There's a host who shares online. That meme goes up. There's close contact with online friends, and then people receive that meme, and then they then share it, right? That happened this week with the... Um, Suez Canal. You have the ever-given massive ship that gets stuck in the Suez Canal. And um, this ship is the size of the Empire State Building. It's roughly one-quarter the size of our entire campus stuck in the Suez Canal. So it followed that there would be memes. And so memes went crazy, right? And there's three that I particularly like. Let's go ahead and take a look at these. Uh, the first one is um, a, a tweet. These two guys and their digger are currently trying to save global trade. <laughs> two guys and a digger trying to save global trade. Here's the next one. I love this one. Things I need to do and me. <laughs> Ever feel like that? There's just so many things to do and I'm, I'm not even making a dent. And I like this one too. Uh, who wins shutting down the global economy? The volatility of all world markets or one sideways boat? I found that pretty funny. So these are memes that were <clears throat> created and shared. These memes went viral, right? There's this sharing and receiving and sharing and receiving, and it spread all over the world <clears throat> near instantaneously. By the end of day one, these memes were all over. They went viral. What we've been studying in the book of Acts is essentially the message of Jesus that went viral and how the message of Jesus went viral. So today we're going to take a mere 2,000-year journey really quickly that's going to involve communion right in the middle of this service. We're going to walk the history from Palm Sunday through what is now called Holy Week, including the Last Supper, through the crucifixion, through the resurrection, through the book of Acts. We're going to summarize the book of Acts and just recap what we've been talking about and then follow quickly all of human history to this very day to see how the message of Jesus went viral. And it all started on Palm Sunday. Jesus' message went viral on Palm Sunday. Now, we already had a movement of followers. He had a movement of followers in Galilee, probably several thousand followers in Galilee. He had probably several hundred followers in Jerusalem. So just think northern movement, southern movement. North Galilee, it was this you know, very rural, farm, peasant, poor, uneducated region. He had thousands of people following him there. He went on occasion down to Jerusalem, uh, usually to stir the pot with the religious leaders. And there were probably several hundred in Jerusalem who were followers of Jesus. 
Now, he went into Jerusalem on what we now call Palm Sunday, essentially to be hailed as king over not just Israel, but over the whole world. And this made every political leader and religious leader quite nervous. It all started on Palm Sunday. The message of Jesus went viral on Palm Sunday as the northern followers gathered with the southern uh, followers getting ready for the Passover feast. It was a big deal. The city was filled with hundreds of thousands of people. It's the, the fullest the city is by population at any part of the year heading into Passover. It's quite a scene. Now, the message of Jesus went viral for the same reasons anything goes viral. It starts with an easily transmissible message. The message was easily transmissible. Keep in mind, the whole region around Israel were, um, were oppressed. They were oppressed by the Romans. They were oppressed by heavy taxation, many of which were uh, you know, forced to stay in institutional poverty because the Roman oppression was so intense. They were uh, considered to be you know, a minority population who were looked down upon, and, and, and they were judged, and they were mistreated. Many of them were outcasts because they were poor, because they were sick, because you know, they didn't have the right blood coursing through their veins. And so this whole scene was ripe for an easily transmissible message. In fact, Mark 6 puts it this way. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus saw the entire region of Israel, particularly in the north at this time, and he had compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were utterly lost. And so they were ripe for an easily transmitted message of hope, right? And Jesus was welcoming everyone, people who didn't have the right blood coursing through their veins because, of course, 2,000 years ago, everybody was looked at through the lens of race and ethnicity. And so they were mistreated, but Jesus welcomed them in. They were poor and judged, and Jesus welcomed them in. They were, they were sick and considered cursed because they were sick, and Jesus welcomed them in. Jesus welcomed the children in when they were considered to be annoyances. So Jesus was this wide open door, full embrace of everyone everywhere in a world that needed hope, desperate people who needed hope. So the message of Jesus was in an easily transmissible environment. John 12, this is just before Palm Sunday. News that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. Jesus is coming. A large crowd. So this is a, this is a movement now is starting to really swell. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down to the road to meet him. You take a palm branch to meet a human being, you are hailing them as king. Palm branches were the symbol of royalty. They shouted, praise God, blessing on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the king. This was about to go viral. Not just because there was a message of hope that was easily transmitted in an era of, of hopelessness, but because the host, Jesus, who bore the kingdom of heaven, right? He bore the very nature of God. He was the one who himself was the embodiment of hope. He was about to share. He was the host who was sharing in this easily transmissible environment. And what is the core of his message? As he rides into Jerusalem, he says this in Luke 19, the son of man came to seek and save what was lost. He's looking at these lost people, hopeless, desperate people, poor and sick, rejected, outcast, labeled. He says, I'm here to save them. And he starts teaching and preaching the message of hope and the message of salvation, the message of acceptance from a heavenly father, the message of forgiveness unconditionally given to all, wide open door. And so anyone 
who bore the weight of shame in their life. Jesus gave them hope by the grace of God. For anyone who bore the weight of guilt, they figured they're not good enough for God, they're not good enough, they don't, they don't measure up. Jesus gave them the gift of hope by God's grace. For anyone who felt judged, they felt condemned by others around them, they felt condemned by the religious community. Jesus gave them hope by the gift of grace. For anyone who felt hurt or who were abused and felt the, and felt the indignity of that abuse, Jesus gave them hope by the gift of grace. Anyone who felt alone or rejected, Jesus gave them hope by the gift of grace. Anyone who felt lost, Jesus gave them hope by the gift of grace. And so the host is sharing this message with the world that God is a heavenly father who loves you. He's not this angry judge eager to condemn you. He is for you, not against you. He embraces you. He doesn't reject you. His love is unconditionally given just as you are. Come to that love. Come to that grace. Through Jesus Christ, he was giving them hope. And that hope wasn't just shouted from a mountaintop. It was through close contact. Anything that goes viral happens through close contact. And this is one of the beautiful things about being a follower of Jesus and being a part of a community that follows Jesus. It really should be in close contact as friends. We, we speak a lot about the friendship that Jesus offered uh, during the Last Supper, which we'll celebrate here in, in about one minute. Jesus offers friendship. He says, no longer call me master, call me friend. You're a friend of God. We're friends with each other because I'm sharing with you in close contact everything of the kingdom of heaven I'm sharing with you. We are partners together to advance the cause of Christ as friends, friends with God and friends with one another. Close contact is really the culture of the kingdom of heaven. So here we are now in the Last Supper. Jesus is gathering his disciples in Jerusalem during that Passover week. The celebration of Palm Sunday became very contentious as people were being divided over who this Jesus is, right? Political parties were inserting rumors and religious parties were inserting rumors and there was a whole division, sound familiar, in the city about Jesus. And so they were gathering together as friends in the upper room, celebrating together, celebrating their friendship. John 13, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. Get this, he had loved his disciples. That's what following Jesus is all about. That's what the community of followers of Christ is all about, love. He loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. He loved them right to the cross. He was so gracious to them and so selfless to them and so sacrificial to them that that sacrifice, that love, involved him laying down his life because the world says we're not going to be ruled by love. We're going to be ruled by power. We're not going to be ruled by love. We're going to be ruled by violence. We're not going to be you know, ruled by love that results in unity among all people. We're going to keep people divided. They had to shut him up, and they shut him up on the cross. He loved them to the very end, and, and, and I love this. It was time for supper. There's something very beautiful, very meaningful about a culture of friendship with God and friendship with each other that results in the taking of a meal together. And I've got to tell you, the future of Rancho post-pandemic is about friendships and gathering and meals together and sharing life with each other because that's really the main symbol of Christianity is that Last Supper meal. It's it's a dinner together. And we're going to celebrate a portion of that right now. If you would pull out your, your communion cups. Um, 
and open them up. And it's a little bit of a trick to open them. I've, I was uh, gathered with a group of pastors this week. And, um, you know, because of COVID, we all use these same cups. And it's like a whole scene trying to open both. So at the very top, there's a very thin piece of plastic. You just kind of scrape the top. You'll get that thin piece of plastic to get the wafer. And then there's the secondary that gets you to the juice. But when Jesus was gathered with his disciples, he says, this Passover meal that we have shared every single year at this time, our entire life, we're going to share together. But we're going to share this meal in a different way. The bread and the wine no longer represents the Passover in Egypt. It represents me now. That bread represents the broken body of Christ. That juice represents the shed blood of Christ. So even as you're seated indoors or outdoors, take that bread and eat it in remembrance of Jesus. His body that was broken for you. As he loved his disciples, he loves you. As he loved his disciples to the very end, he loves you to the very end, and his broken body proves it. Then at that last supper meal, Jesus says, this wine is to remember me as well, my shed blood. When God makes a promise, it's sealed with blood. That's true in the Old Testament. In the Old Covenant times, when people made a promise to each other, they would kill an animal and eat the animal as a seal of that promise. Jesus says, I am the seal of the promise of God, that my shed blood is the seal of the promise of God. Jesus says, when you drink, drink in remembrance of me, my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people, so take and drink in remembrance of Christ. Just hours later, Jesus was arrested, tried six times before the religious authorities and before the Roman authorities. He was tortured and he was crucified. His body was broken, his blood was shed to love us and to love the world until the very end. And that love could not be kept down. On the third day, that Sunday morning, there was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The love of God cannot be put down. The love of God cannot stop. Not even death itself can stop this message from going viral. The love of God for all the world. Jesus rose again from the dead. We'll talk about that, I believe, next Sunday. He rose from the dead. And then Jesus gathers his disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and he says, listen, you, my disciples, my friends will continue to get this message out. It will continue to go viral beyond Galilee in the north, beyond Jerusalem in the south, beyond a movement in the area of Palestine. This will go viral, not with the, just the Jews, but with the entire world. And so in Acts chapter 1-8, Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The same spirit that came upon Jesus and empowered his ministry is the same spirit of God that will come upon us and empower all our ministry. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, even to the ends of the earth. The movement of Jesus, the message of Jesus, the grace and the hope and the forgiveness through Jesus is to be spread virally through the entire world. Jesus commands that. He gives us his spirit to do that. This message has got to go viral. And we see how it went viral in the first century in the book of Acts. And this is what we've been studying pretty much all winter. 
There was the first radical inclusion of the nations in Acts chapter 2, right out of the gate. The nations are hearing in their own language. And then there's the first radical inclusion of the poor. They are to be considered absolute equals, not just the rich giving charitably to the poor, but considered absolute equals. And we talked about the vision of biblical equity. In Acts chapter 8, the first radical inclusion of a sexual minority who were considered unclean, unfit to enter the temple of God. They were forbidden from entering the temple of God. They are now radically included, Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 10, the first radical inclusion of an enemy. This is a Roman centurion. I mean, a part of the, the legion who crucified Jesus the Lord. There is now an inclusion of this Roman centurion. In Acts chapter 15, we talked about this last week, the first radical inclusion despite disagreements. There's the traditionalists, and then there's the, the ones who are absolutely getting the message of Jesus, this new message beyond the tradition of the Jewish way, but they were going to the Gentiles and accepting the Gentiles, a radical inclusion despite disagreements. In Acts chapter 17, there's the first radical inclusion of everyone everywhere, and this is one of the most stunning passages in Acts. Acts chapter 17, the apostle Paul is walking through the garden of gods in Athens, literally walking through the pantheon of gods, roughly a thousand idols that were worshiped. And Paul makes this statement to all these, these Greeks, all these Gentiles who are there worshiping false idols. Acts 17, 27, Paul says this to the crowd. His purpose, the purpose of Christ, was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him though he is not far from any one of us. Did you hear that? Here's the Apostle Paul getting this message of Jesus, message of hope and grace and forgiveness to the world. And he's walking through the garden of idol worshipers, idol worshipers. And he says, God is not far from you. You're trying to find him. You're trying to find him through these graven images of stone but he's right there with you. He's not far from any one of us. Do you see the beauty of that? I mean, here's the Apostle Paul, and he's a devout you know, Jew, and he's following the, the Old Covenant. He's following the Ten Commandments. He's following the 613 commands of the Old Testament. I mean, he's, a, he, he's at the top of his game. He is a, a legalizer. He's a Jewish lawyer who's all about the study, the memorization of the law, memorizing the first five books of the Bible and striving to live that out. I mean, he had the credentials and the highest order of being a religious Jew. And what does he say? He says to idol-worshiping Gentiles, God is not far from any one of us. Radical inclusion. Essentially, the Apostle Paul is saying there is no distinction in God's eyes. He is near to us all. The world just needs to know that. It's pretty simple. The world just needs to know the love of God through Jesus Christ because God's right here. He is near to all of us. It's just that not everyone knows that yet. Some people, most people, in fact, human nature wrongly understands that God is separate from us. He's out there somewhere. And, and if I am religious enough and devout enough and moral enough and pure enough and doctrinally correct enough, maybe I can work my way up to God's favor. Most people on earth believe that. They live that. They live under the paradigm of conditional love. If I do this for God, God will do stuff for me. If I'm good for God, God will be good to me. 
If I'm righteous or holy or, or obedient or correct in my doctrine, then God will open eternity of heaven to me. If not, he will condemn me in eternal torture. Most people believe this. That's not gospel. That's not good news. There's nothing viral about that. That's the same old bad news of every religion on earth. Jesus brings something different. He is near to us all by grace, and the world's eyes just need to be open to that, right? That message has to go viral. And the Apostle Paul was committed to that. I mean, God used the Apostle Paul. We talked about this last week, that, that those who were traditionalists, and they just clung on to their old covenant and their Ten Commandments and their Jewish traditions, they are no longer even present in the book of Acts in the last half of the, of the book. They're no longer even relevant because they're hanging on to their traditions and their uh, you know, ethnic way and their Old Testament, Old Covenant laws. They're holding to that, and so they are gone by the end of Acts. The only one that remains is the Apostle Paul because he understands that this message is viral. It's got to get everywhere, not just to the religious, not just the traditional, not just to those who hold to the old ways, but to everyone, everywhere. And so the Apostle Paul is committed to that also to the very end, the way Jesus was. And so he, like Jesus, is also on trial with the Jewish leaders and with the Roman leaders. And so the, the last few chapters of the book of Acts is just a list of the struggles of the Apostle Paul. He goes to this city, preaches Jesus, gets beaten down by the religious traditionalists. He goes to this city, preaches Jesus, gets arrested by the Roman institutions. It's, it's just the way Jesus ended his life, so the Apostle Paul ends his life with a series of arrests and a series of trials, a series of beatings, because they've got to get this message done with. Religious traditionalists do not want a message of love and grace. Uh, political parties do not want a message of love and grace. So they try to crush it because they need people divided. They need people fighting. They need people dependent on them, dependent on the religious leaders, dependent on the political leaders. And so they crush movements of grace. They tr crush movements of love. They crush movements of unity. They did that with Jesus. They're doing that with Paul. But something very interesting happened. At one of the last trials of the Apostle Paul, he's actually set free. He's a Roman citizen, so he has all of the privileges of, of being a Roman citizen. If he wasn't, he would have been long gone by, by, by now. But he's at this trial with, with Festus, and he's declared not guilty. So I want you to just imagine you are on trial for a capital crime. If you're convicted, you are going to be put to death. Now, 2,000 years ago, that meant that afternoon, right? So he's on trial, and uh, he is on trial for a capital crime, you know, treason against Rome, preaching this King Jesus. And Festus says, listen, we know he's speaking of a spiritual kingdom. We know Paul's no threat to the Roman Empire. And so we're going to let you go, Paul. Paul says, I want to appeal that decision. <laughs> so could you imagine? You're declared not guilty of a capital crime, and there's the door. It's wide open. Off you go. I want to appeal this decision. And he did. And Festus says, well, why are you doing this? There's the door. You can go. He says, no, I want to appeal. Why does Paul want to appeal? Because he knows this message has to get viral. And Festus is an important person in the Roman Empire, but King Herod Agrippa is even more important. And if he can get to King Herod, because that's the next appeal, if he gets to King Herod, then this message will get to even more people. So he says, I'm not walking out that door. I, I appeal this decision. Acts 25, 22, King Agrippa said to Festus, 
I actually want to hear this man for myself. Anybody who would appeal a not guilty verdict, I want to talk to. And Festus says, all right, how about tomorrow? Tomorrow you will hear him. And it's one of the most beautiful interactions, I think, in all of Scripture. Because here you have Paul. He's committed to the love of God, the grace of God, the freely given forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ. The world just needs to know that God loves them, right? That's all the world really needs to know. That will change everything from a whole paradigm of conditional love and, and how do I get more by what I do and to a paradigm of unconditional love that all rests on what we believe about God. Paul knows that. He's got to get this message out. And so here he is before King Herod Agrippa. And it's a formula that we can adopt today. We can follow in Paul's footsteps here as he shares virally the message of Jesus, even to the highest authorities. But something Paul was rubbing up against is the same thing that we rub up against here today. Religious traditionalists oppose the gospel. That happened with Paul. One example, Jews from the province of Asia, Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, men of Israel, help us. This man who teaches all men everywhere against our people and our law and this place, and here's his crime. And besides, he brought Greeks into the temple area and defiled this holy place. What are they doing? They're defending their traditions. Based on Old Testament, Paul was breaking through that. Just as Jesus did, Paul even brought Greeks, non-Jews, to the temple area. And for that, they wanted him beaten and killed. Religious traditionalists often oppose the good news of grace. Power-based institutions oppose the good news of grace. In this instance, it was Roman authority, governors and kings. They just don't want a message of love and grace getting out there. That's a threat to their power base. It's a threat to their control, right? They control by fear. They control by divisions. I've lamented our political parties do that, right? And many of us just follow right along. It's an opposition to the gospel. It's the same thing that happened 2,000 years ago with Jesus. It happened 2,000 years ago with Paul. Same thing happens now. Religious traditions and power-based institutions still to this day oppose the gospel. So we can look at what Paul did before King Herod Agrippa, and we can say, okay, that's my job. So as we close with this section, just think, as Paul shared Christ with, with King Herod Agrippa so we can share and live our lives in the same way, first, be humble and kind. Be humble and kind. As we go through this, just kind of measure what Paul did against the way the church, the Christian church often is in the world. Paul was humble and kind. Listen to what he says. This is how he introduces himself to, to King Herod Agrippa. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Isn't that cool? It's just nice. <laughs> I mean, imagine that. He's a Christian man who's just nice. Thank you. It's a privilege to be here. Can I just take a little bit of your time and can you be patient with me right now? Isn't that so cool? Is that how the Christian church today is with the world around them? Just super nice, kind, humble, gentle. That's the way Jesus was. That's the way Paul was. How about we do that? 
How about we do that? How about we have this passion to be as nice as Jesus, as kind as Jesus, to put a smile on our face, to not be grumpy, to not be condemning, to not be judgy, to not be divisive, but just to be kind. He was standing before the person that ultimately put him to death. I'm just going to tell you how the story ends. He was ultimately put to death under oppression, had all of his rights taken from him, in prison, in shackles, and yet he was so very kind. People who follow Jesus, not follow a Christian religion, but people who follow Jesus ought to be this kind. And then the, the Apostle Paul talked about his personal transformation. He just gives his own testimony. To use the religious word, he told his old story, right? So Paul says, listen, I was obsessively against Christians. And what he was trying to do is he was trying to build a connection with King Agrippa, right? Because King Agrippa considered Christians to be the enemy. Here's this movement of love and grace that might threaten the Roman Empire if it's successful, right? So, so he has to crush this thing. He's got to crush this movement of love and grace. So here he is before, before Paul. And so Paul tries to build a bridge here with King Agrippa. Paul says, listen, I know what it's like to want to crush Christians. Paul was part of the religious movement, the religious traditionalists, who arrested and ultimately killed Christians. Paul was there at the first execution of the first Christian, presiding over it. So he talks about his own personal transformation. I was obsessively against Christians. I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. On one of these journeys, Paul says, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions, and a voice saying to me, I am Jesus, how about you stop persecuting me, <laughs> right? Paul gives his testimony, he shares his story, and he's building a bridge with King Agrippa. I too was a persecutor of Jesus, the way you are. But my life was changed. And for a lot of us, as we, as we talk about our faith, it's not about an argument around doctrine. It's not about an, about an argument around culture. It's not about an argument around politics. It's sharing our story, life to life. This is just what God's grace did in my life. And I told you the story of what God's grace did in my own family. You know, a family that was torn apart by alcoholism and everything that goes along with that, torn apart. And over a decade of just turmoil in our house when I was growing up, and then God's grace just started moving. In my mom's life, in my life, in my brother's life, my dad's life, and here we are all following Jesus Christ all being transformed by the love and grace of God, and that work continues to this very day. Tell our stories. And then there's a focus on Jesus. The Apostle Paul focused on Jesus. He didn't focus on a religious sect. He didn't focus on a religious movement. He just focused on Jesus. And so he said to Agrippa, he says, I stand to testify that Christ suffered and was the first to rise from the dead to proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles, to the whole world. He simply focused on Jesus. Jesus died because the world wanted him crushed. They could not handle a movement of love and grace, and they did away with him. But love and grace cannot be stopped. And so God the Father rose him from the dead, and his life continues to live today through us. It's a focus on Jesus. 
The Christian religion most often gets in the way of a focus on Jesus. The Christian religion is oftentimes fighting over little doctrines, fighting over little interpretations, fighting over the right way to to, to worship or the right way to do church, fighting over a ton of things, fighting over politics. That was the hobby of this last year. Fighting, 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 fighting about things that have nothing to do with Jesus' actual life and ministry. What did the Apostle Paul do? He didn't focus on the 11 different sects of of, of religious Judaism and Christianity that were going around at the time. He didn't focus on any of it. He focused on Jesus. And I've got to say, there is a wonderful 21st century movement in the church that is focused on Jesus, 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 Jesus. And it's trying, as difficult as it is, to just get unencumbered by the Christian religion and focus on Jesus. And I got to say very proudly, we're a part of that movement. It doesn't, hey, we can applaud that. It doesn't have a name. It doesn't have a brand. It doesn't have celebrity pastors, but it is a focus on Jesus. And that is exactly what the Apostle Paul did. And then finally, there's an invitation. And I love, love, love the invitation that Paul gave to King Agrippa. It was so compelling that Agrippa actually said to Paul, uh, hey, do you think in this little brief interaction, in this short time, you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul said, yep. (laughs) Actually, the answer is yes, because it's really simple. This short interaction with one of the kings of Rome that reported directly to the Caesar, Paul said, yes, this short interaction about the grace of Jesus Christ, the love of Christ that death can't even keep down. Yeah, maybe king, this will happen. And Paul said again, very humbly and very kind and with ultimate patience, Paul says, I think with sort of a smirk on his face, whether it's a short time or a long time, I pray God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today would become a Christian. Isn't that kind of cool? It wasn't like right here, right now, kind of angry and pressured. It was just as very gracious. Well, maybe, maybe this one conversation can lead you to be a Christian. Maybe it'll take a while. And the cool part about the end of Acts is that it did take a little while for Christianity to go viral in the Roman Empire. It took a little while. Briefly in 30 AD, a small sect of Judaism called the Way, tiny little sect of Judaism received Jesus as the risen savior. By 40 AD, it became a multi-ethnic movement. It went viral to become a Christian movement of Jews and Gentiles. Then an underground movement of faith began to sweep across the Roman Empire, particularly when there was persecution. Christians were being crucified. The message still went viral because it's a simple message of grace and love to a community that was so receptive to that. By 300 AD, one-sixth of the Roman Empire were professing Christians, even in seasons when it was illegal. In 313 AD, Emperor Constantine made Christianity legal in the Roman Empire. By the middle of that century, Christianity became the, the, the state religion of the Roman Empire. That became the Roman Catholic Church of the West, which then in 1053 AD birthed the Orthodox Church of the East. Then in 1517 AD, the Catholic Church unwillingly uh, birthed the great Reformation movement that we know as Protestantism today. 
in the 18th and 19th century that multiplied denominations, mainline denominations that continue to exist to this day. In the 19th and 20th century, that bore the Baptist and Evangelical and Pentecostal movements and Jesus movements, which are today, right now, birthing a 21st century movement of Christ-centered grace that is still viral. And all of that can be traced back to God's work through the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts. And we're still part of that movement today. It's a viral movement, not of religion, but of love, not of political power, but love, not of celebrity pastors, but love, not of moral demands and endless doctrines, but love all focused on love itself, who is Jesus Christ. A new viral movement of love where everyone is welcome just as they are to receive this simple message from one simple peasant, from one poor, uneducated rural township 2,000 years ago. And we get to celebrate that here in our own hearts, and we get to come to a point of, of faith ourselves and to say, whether now or later, the invitation is still there as it was to King Agrippa, we can receive this love now. So whether you're here, inside, outside, or online, you can receive the love of Christ right now, knowing that God is near to all of us. Just believe it. Just receive it. God is here. He's got a forgiveness and grace. He's a God that embraces you just as you are and just wants you to know how loved you are. And that love will transform your life and your family and your church and your neighborhood. And the viral spread will continue throughout all the earth. And next Sunday, we get to celebrate that outdoors, wide open, invite everyone the way the apostle Paul invited even the, one of the kings of Rome. Invite your neighbors, invite your friends to be here to celebrate the love of Jesus Christ on Easter Sunday. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we honor you and we thank you for being a God of grace, not an angry, distant, ominous judge ready to pounce when we are not right or when we're not moral or when we sin. We see in Jesus the forgiver of sin. We see in Jesus an acceptance of all. We see in Jesus, uh, not only through his life and ministry, but through the book of Acts as the message of Christ goes viral, that there is this radical inclusion of everyone, embracing the love of God just as we are, as we are and letting the love that you give to us through Jesus Christ freely, letting that love transform us so that more and more we become more like Jesus. More and more our community of friends become more like Jesus. More and more your church becomes more like Jesus inviting the world to experience your freely given grace, your forgiving love to everyone everywhere. We receive that. We want to live in that. We want to, to, to live in the, in the likeness of Jesus, showing love and grace and compassion and mercy, following Christ and, and even walking in the, in the example of the Apostle Paul, so humble, so kind, inviting the world to experience love. We receive that today in Christ's name. Amen.